Let's get to what the main point of what we're trying to do this morning, which is talk about Palm Sunday. What we're trying to do is we're trying to give you a concept on this special Sunday, which we celebrate once a year, of what exactly uh, was Jesus doing when he entered in to Jerusalem some 2,000 years ago. On most given Palm Sundays, we talk about one of the gospel accounts of Jesus entering. But for this Sunday morning, I would like to turn our attention to Psalm chapter 118. And before you turn in your, in your Bibles, and I'm going to encourage you to do so in a second, uh, I'm going to give you a little bit of background, and I want us to read it together. Psalm 113 through 118 makes up a part of the Psalter, that's what the Psalm, the book of Psalms is often referred to, the Psalter, that was specifically used as praise songs during the pilgrimage time of going to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover season and before and after the Passover meal. In fact, scholars believe that Psalm 113 and 114 were songs that were sung as the pilgrims made their way to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. Maybe you would forget this or maybe you didn't know this, but Jesus during the week in which he gave his life on the cross was the week of Passover. The night before he is crucified was the night of the Passover meal, but the Passover season was a week culminating with this meal. Well, Jesus enters into Jerusalem. He enters on a donkey, and it is these psalms back in this ancient uh, 2,000 years ago that the pilgrims would have sung Psalm 113 and 14 as they make their way to Jerusalem. Scholars believe that Psalm 115 through 118 were the psalms that they would have sung during the Passover meal, before the meal and then after concluding the meal. If that's the case, then Psalm 118 most likely would have been the conclusion to the Passover meal after they would have gone through the lamb and the bitter herbs and the matzah bread. And so this morning, what we are going to try to do is to the best of my knowledge and from what I've studied from scholars, we are going to read Psalm 118 together. I'm going to have it on the screen and we're going to read it together. I'm going to lead you in doing it. So there's going to be sections that I'm going to read and there's going to be sections that you respond. And then you're going to hear a lengthy section where I read and I give a testimony to you. And then we're all going to read the end together. Scholars believe that this is how this particular psalm song would have been used to conclude the Passover meal. And so let's go ahead and do it together. Look up on the screen. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Let Israel say, Let the house of Aaron say, Let those who fear the Lord say, When hard pressed, I cried to the Lord. He brought me into a spacious place. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? The Lord is with me. He is my helper. I will look in triumph on my enemies. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humans. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All the nations surrounded me, but in the name of the Lord I cut them down. They surrounded me on every side, but in the name of the Lord, I cut them down. They swarmed around me like bees, but they were consumed as quickly as burning thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them down. I was pushed back and about to fall, but the Lord helped me. 
The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. Shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents of the righteous. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. The Lord's right hand is lifted high. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. I will not die but live and will proclaim what the Lord has done. The Lord has chastened me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open for me the gates of righteous, the righteous, for I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. I will give you thanks, for you answered me. You have become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice today and be glad. Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord we bless you. The Lord is God, and he has made his light shine on us. With bows in hand, join in the festal procession up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God, and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. So this psalm, which you can find now, it's Psalm 118, and it's on page uh, 495, does three things. There are three sections to it. And in the brief moments, I want to explain them to you. They are beautiful. You'll notice in this psalm, as you turn there, that Psalm 118, verses 1 through 4, is communal in nature. And as we've read it this morning, you'll notice that it is a responsive reading. It always ends with, His love endures forever. Perhaps for those of you who've read the Psalms many times, you'll recognize this refrain, His love endures forever. There's a psalm, very famous psalm, Psalm 136, which if you read it, all the verses end. I think there's like 20 verses, and they all end. His love endures forever. It's this, the same type of thing. It's used for a different occasion, but it's a responsive reading. Here, the psalmist uses this four times in the first four verses, and then lastly, to conclude the Passover meal at chapter uh, 118, verse 29. His love endures forever. But while the psalm starts communally, it moves on individually. And at this part of the psalm, verses 5 through 21, scholars believe, and it makes total sense when you look at the psalm itself, even from the internal evidence of reading it. The language is you, we, language in verses 1 through 4, but it switches, doesn't it, in verse 5. It is all I language. Scholars think that perhaps at this moment in the ancient world, not during the time of Jesus, but to the time of the kings of Israel, that it would be the king who would be the one who would read these words. Perhaps it was. Maybe it was just an individual worshiper. But there was a, a person who would read these words, and he would read them as kind of a representative individual as they worshiped, declaring their thanksgiving in what God has done. But what I think is so fascinating about these verses is the thanksgiving begins with anguish, doesn't it? Verse 5, when hard-pressed, I cried to the Lord. I think about that sometimes. I think of the song that Chris uh, sung right before prayer. You know, when the night is holding on to me, God is holding on. 
And then it has that refrain, you are good, you are good. But see, this song, like this psalter, this psalm, that song, King of My Heart, just like this psalm, is not like, I don't know, Cloud Cuckoo Land in the Lego movie. It is not telling us that everything is good all the time, even when things are hard. Although things are good, even when things are hard. It recognizes the hard, difficult moments in life, but yet, by faith, declares still that God is with us, even when hard-pressed. In verses 6 and 7, notice how it is this perspective that gives new, uh, this strength, this faith, that gives new perspective to trouble. The Lord is with me, I will not be afraid. Notice in verses 8 and 9 that the psalmist has learned from experience that it is better to trust God than any other source, than man, or even the best of man, princes, royalty. And when things get difficult and it is hard to continue to place your trust in God, you may not think of it this way. You may not. But by taking your trust away from God, you are putting your trust somewhere else. Where is a more reliable source to put your trust in in times of trouble than if not the one who created all and who gave himself for all creation after we mucked it up? In verses 10 through 12, you'll notice how the psalmist reminds us how bad things really were, that this is not just me talking, you know, him just saying, yeah, it was really hard. I was surrounded on all sides by nations. This is one of the reasons some scholars believe it's the king. He's representative saying, and there are times in Israel's history, if you read the historical books of the Old Testament, when this is exactly the case. Perhaps Hezekiah said these words as he was walled up like a bird in a cage in the city of Jerusalem as the Assyrian army circled him outside the city when all of Judah had fell except Jerusalem. All of Judah had fell. My enemies surround me on every side. All the nations surround me. But notice that the emphasis, even as bad as things are, is on, but in the name of the Lord I cut them down as if they were nothing more than chaff or nothing more than thorns, perhaps. Because that's what he says in verse 12, right? They swarmed me like bees. Bees, when they swarm, are so infinite they cannot be counted. They swarm me like bees, and yet, in God's name, I cut them down and they burned like thorns on the fire. I always burn my thorns at the beginning of every spring season, you know, when you can finally go outside and all the stuff falls. And I burn other things, too, that have fallen. But I'll burn the thorns, those little bushes, and they are gone like that, aren't they? The trouble is not like that. It is not. I am sure Hezekiah did not feel that way as he is captured, as he is besieged. But in the name of the Lord, we declare our trust. Verse 13 and 14 describes about how God helped him to deal with enemies with seeming ease, although it's never easy in the moment. But notice that he's not saying this in the moment. He's saying it afterwards. That's why 
Women continue to have babies. Well, there's maybe many reasons. They forget what it was like to have those babies. And epidurals help too. Although I should, probably shouldn't talk about that because I'm a man. I heard an amen from a woman. There you go. <laughs> but isn't it always our trouble like that? Insurmountable in the moment and afterwards, a passing wind. Verse 15 and 16 describe the the victory celebration that God has given to the righteous. Do the righteous in the end experience victory? Yes. I'll teach my kids that. I will teach them, my kids, that very ardently because it will not always feel like to you or to my kids or to myself that we will experience victory in the end. And when we stop believing that we will experience victory in the end, we go down all kinds of paths that never will lead us to victory. Yes, we will experience victory in the end. Verse 17 and 18, the psalmist describes his anguish. But notice how he sees it as the discipline of God. But the discipline of God, as Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 through 11 says, is not the discipline of a jailer to one who he does not care about. It is the discipline of a father to a child. And so when I punish my kids, it's not because I get... uh, jollies from making them unhappy. I worry and love my boys and want to shape their characters into something that is worth being. Yes? In verses 19 through 20, the psalmist gives thanks at the gracious goodness of God who symbolically opens his gate to the righteous. For it is the righteous who enter. Although Paul very clearly in Romans tells us that the righteous are defined as those who have placed their faith in Jesus. And James very clearly tells us, to make sure we don't misunderstand Paul, that the righteous who have placed their faith in Jesus will exhibit righteous behavior. At this point in the psalm, Those in the dinner party, those in the congregation, those hearing would respond and they would say together words that may seem a little unusual. (laughs) The stone the builders has rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in his eyes. These are famous words that are used multiple times in the New Testament. In fact, Jesus refers to these words to describe himself in Matthew chapter 21 verse 42 But Peter describes them in 1 Peter 2, and Paul refers to them in Ephesians 2, Christ becoming the chief cornerstone. In the original context, these verses applied to the nation, the nation of Israel who's been rejected and cast aside. But in the New Testament and in the eyes of Jesus himself, he is the one who has been rejected and despised and who has become the salvation of all the cornerstone, the most important foundational stone in the whole building. John tells us, in John chapter 1, I came unto my own, Jesus said, and my own did not receive me. But to as many as received him, 
To them gave he the power, he and she, to become the children of God. You see? Verses 24 and 25 bring us to Palm Sunday, and it brings us to the very essence of it, Hosanna, which you don't see in the word itself, but Hosanna itself means, Lord, save us. Verse 25, Lord, save us. And here in verse 26, we have the quotation of Palm Sunday itself. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so the Israelites worship. They sing this song at Passover. And with light and bows in hands, they proceed in festal procession up to the horns of the altar. Because it is always with concrete acts that God's people declare and demonstrate their commitment to God. And the psalm ends with the reminder that I leave you with this morning that God is good and his love endures forever. This psalm was not written by a man or for a nation that experienced nothing but ease. But it was written to tell us that in difficulty, that God is good, that he is on our side, and in the end, the righteous will conquer. And this psalm, points us to Jesus, who on this day we celebrate, entered as a conquering king on a donkey, not a big regal white horse. And in the coming of the king, he did not slay with a sword coming out of his mouth, making bloody all those who oppose, but willfully and willingly gave himself up for those who hated him so that those who hated him might have life. As Paul says in Romans 5, while we were still sinners, not while we were most awesome, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. As we prepare and as Palm Sunday launches us into Holy Week, let me pray that you would remember the message of Palm Sunday. Father, we ask that you would work in our hearts and minds to see the beauty of Jesus, our mighty conquering King who conquers as a lamb who has been slain through his sacrificial act of love and sacrifice. We pray that you might transform our lives to follow in his steps to help us to resist bitterness and to embrace love. And we pray that you might use us to shine and show the beauty of Christ to all who see us, both individually and as a corporate body through this church, which is just a part of the bigger whole, who, can, who affirms and believes that Jesus is the crucified, resurrected, coming again, Son of God.
It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.